Hello, everyone. Yes, it is me, Victoria Stapleton, Director of School and Library Marketing, and you're in luck, for it's another episode of the Little Brown School and Library Podcast. I'm in the cave of literary fabulosity with one of my favorite writers. She comes to us all the way from a magical land called England. I know! You know her as the author of a treasured series of books with some of the best language and names ever, How to Train Your Dragon, for she is, yes, Cressida Cowell! Okay, my enthusiasm is putting me in the upper register, so I'm going to bring it down a notch back into the lower register so we don't all get uh, dog ears here. Cressida. Hello. Welcome to the United States and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I have adored your work for years, and I'm super excited that you have a new book and a new adventure coming out, The Wizards of Once. I'm so excited. I know. And there's a lot to be excited here, for it is sort of a wizard without power versus the daughter of the warrior queen. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a world at war. It's set 3,000 years ago in the British Isles um, when magic really existed. Yeah. And so the wildwoods are filled with giants and sprites and rogers and all these incredible uh, magical creatures. But the world has been invaded by the warriors. The warriors are, have this thing with them called iron. And iron is the only thing that magic will not work on. So the the warriors are trying to get rid of all the magic. They're trying to get rid of all the giants. They've already got rid of the witches, and nobody cares about that because witches are really scary. Um, but now they're trying to get rid of all the magic. Um, so the wizards and the warriors are at war, uh, and Wish, my warrior hero, is about 13 years old, uh, and, sh- and she has this secret. She has an enchanted magical object that she's trying to conceal, and it's about what happens when she meets Zar who's also 13, and he's um, a wizard boy who has no magic and will do anything to get it. I have a question lurking in the back of my mind about lucky and unlucky numbers for character ages. <laughs> but one of the things that I have always appreciated about your work is that you, and very few authors can do this, and in my mind I have several examples, some of whom have television shows on pay cable networks, You have a a wondrous ability to balance character and plot and and setting, as a matter of fact. How do you put all of those things together in a great balance? How do you balance them? It it is, you're quite right, a real balancing act. Because you have to get um, the plot working and, uh, and, and the atmosphere of the... So once there was magic, it was a long, long time ago in the British Isles, so old that it did not know it was the British Isles yet. That's the, that's the scene-setting voice. You know, mm-hmm. you have to have all that going on. And, but then you need, you know, the pace and, and the plot and the, what is going to happen next. You need to have that going on. But at the same time, you need characters that you root for, you know, that you really care about. You know, you care about these kids, you know, and Zar is is a very, I hope, lovable kid who's the kind of kid, he's not like Hiccup, he's the kind of kid who means well, but acts first and thinks later. Um, and we all know that kind of kind of child. And so, it, and Wish, again, I think, I hope, is a very strong girl hero. Um, 
but she's and very kind as well and and very lot but she's also always in trouble um because she's she's not kind of the kind of warrior that um she she's supposed to be um so so you need those kind of characters in the the, the kind of the, the, in in the setting in that world it, it's a, it's a it's a balancing act of getting all of those those things that have to be in place um and I write books that to be read aloud very much. I, I have this mm-hmm. idea that they, they should be read aloud. So they should be in a performance, um, but something that makes you um, uh, makes you laugh, um, that, that that also might make you cry sometimes, might move you. I want I want books that move you, mm-hmm. uh, but also make you think. Uh, and 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 it's all a balancing act. How uh, how do you get all? Because sometimes the laughter, too much laughter, too much fun means that it's not the peril isn't there so you have to you have to be constantly balancing and reworking and rewriting it's really interesting i think it's interesting to me that you are noted for fantastical plots and worlds but your characters have such emotional yeah. realism Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the great feats of your balancing is these are knowable characters. Czar is not perfect. No, he isn't. He's, he's likable. Yeah. Or we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> I know. He's not perfect. He is flawed. He, as I say, he's not like Hiccup at all. He is, he is flawed, but he's learning. He's learning. Kids are learning. You know, and... I feel a real fondness for this kind of kid because they do mean well, but they can get into such trouble. And it's how, and, and he's obviously living in a fantastical wild world where the trouble can get really bad. But I think children of today will relate to that still because they know that kind of kid who, who just means well, but but just gets into trouble because he take, does one wrong thing and then it leads into another and then it leads to a whole no. Um but but he is learning. He's learning to be good. He wants to be good at heart, but he he, he just has trouble doing it. <laughs> well, let's not let let wish off the hook here. Yeah, I mean, no. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's no perfect princess. <laughs> no, she's not. I, I I like a strong girl hero. I I'm not key. I, I mean, as a kid, this is me reading probably as a kid. I, I I didn't like the kind of girl heroes who just waited around for the action to happen and were dragged along by it. I I like a girl hero who is strong and um and wish is strong she's she's different from 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 czar in that she she's also very she she is kind and empathetic she's naturally and czar is trying to be like that but he's a work in progress <laughs> um but you know wish has has a lot of you know very sweet loyal characteristics but she she she, she knows when something is wrong and um her act of disobedience you know her instincts are right you know her uh, her her mother who's a wonderful a splendid character i think mm-hmm. um but you know she she knows that her mother isn't right really in 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 wanting to get rid of all the magic and she's prepared to stand up for that belief and and right from the beginning she's she's in opposition to her mother and her her world i know that you compose in a way that you know is meant to be read aloud as you're constructing the characters and constructing the plot how do these inform each other i mean you think of a plot of mm-hmm. the hidden object the wish for power mm-hmm. uh, but then as you get to know these characters and they develop in your mind over the course of writing do the characters change the plot yeah or does how does the plot the, the development of the plot change the characters yeah it's a constant process of rewriting and and and, and 
I'm doing it at the same time as drawing because I come from a, a, a split background. I mm-hmm. read English at university, but I also went to art school for five years after that. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm, I'm drawing. And, and this is very useful because I think kids of today are more, if anything, more visual mm-hmm. than they were when I was growing up. Uh, and so they have... Um, you know, so much screen and telly that they're more visual, and so I can, I can I can intercut everything with all these these drawings and these imaginings, and that helps me and inform me about the characters um, as I'm drawing and the settings and the world. Um, but you're right, as you're as you're, you can't just. I don't think anyway. Everybody constructs in a different kind of a way, but I don't think you can just set the plot and then you know definitely stick to it. You need to have have a have a sense of where you're going, and then write, and then rewrite, and go back and let the characters have a little bit of a life on of their own. As you say, they they they, all, they begin to take on a life, and then they can take the plot forward in a in a slightly different direction. You have to be open to accidents. <laughs> I mean, a hiccup. It is another name for an accident. <laughs> and, and I really learned that in the Hiccup books. You know, Hiccup was a hero who's going on a, on a, on a quest without realising it. Um, and and um, so using the accident and being, being open to that is something that I, I very much do. And then rewriting and, and constructing a, a, again, um, it, it, it's a process of, of building and rebuilding and, and making sure the pacing always is right and you've got the right emotion in there um and and you're also working in such a small space because you you don't want the books to be huge you know lord of the rings style huge because that no, no, might be no, intimidating it might be intimidating so so you're working in a very little space uh, and packing a lot in but but still wanting to have time for the for the slow reading the the slow thinking the deep thinking as well i have some sections where you know things slow down um uh, you know, so that the hectic plot doesn't take everything over. So it's it's a it's a constant process of rewriting. Do you begin the novel or the story? Do you begin speaking it, drawing it, or writing it? I. Oh, it's so hard. Which is first? Because actually, I've I've brought in my sketchbook. I'll show you later, which shows you how I write things down at the same time as drawing. So, so for me, it doesn't start on a computer. It mm-hmm. starts with words and pictures, drawing, and you know, drawing out the words. And sometimes I'm just writing little poems, you know, to to, to get me into the world. Um, and once there was magic, started with with a sort of little bit of writing. Um, but it's 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 at the same time as drawing trees and I work myself my way into the world very much with words and pictures together. I can't really say which is first. You don't have to say which is first. <laughs> Just because I ask the question doesn't mean there's an answer. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's so much the spirit of my books. I'm always asking questions that don't always have answers because that's. I mean that's that's another thing. I I want these books always to have a sense of of wonder and not and and to be asking questions that twitch. Even I don't always have the answer. You know, adult, you know, this is the thing. Wonderful thing about the world is that we don't always have the answers. So I try and make my books, you know, wise. I hope you know I like my books to be wise, you know, and um, but, but not didactic. Um, but at the same time, have a sense of wonder and to be asking questions to, to get children's creativity sparking. Because that's what's so great about books is that, you know, films and television can be very bossy, can't they? They tell you exactly, you know, how things look. and how, Whereas um, a book, 
your imagination has to come into play to fill in the gaps, as it were. So it's fantastic for sparking creativity. So I'm trying to ask questions in the books that set children thinking, you know, thinking about those questions. Um, And, you know, because I'm trying to spark creative thinking. Well, that's interesting to me that you talk about working in such a small space. Yeah. But really, it's not small, is it? No. Oh, no. You're, yeah. It's in your brain somewhere, but yeah. how big is the world uh, uh, yeah, that's spinning huge. out in your brain? It's huge. I know. You, And again, that's interesting. How you get this sense of this gigantic world beyond the page. Um, and the sections I put in, like the sort of spelling books section, there's a section of sort of non well non-fiction little section of mm-hmm. a guide to the world a spelling book that's supposed to have six million pages in it because it's magic and you know um but that gives a sense of extending the world for children i think and and so there's you know different types of the giants and you, you get a sense of how big this world is beyond the page and also i've, I've had this experience with the hiccup books you get then children creating characters themselves and creating I get in so many I love it when this happens so many pictures of dragons that the kids have made up or the you, you know um so so the, the the spelling book little fake reference section forms two functions it, it, it gives a sense of the world beyond the page mm-hmm. of it spreading out beyond the page but also sparks creativity in the readers I mean children are naturally creative I mean they are that's why writing about magic for children is so natural because children children don't know the rules yet so they don't know exactly what is impossible i love that about children that they for them the impossible can be possible yeah so magic is a real possibility for children you know we grown ups you know we 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 sometimes lose faith in that um but but children's creativity and their ability to make the impossible possible and their belief in that is is one of the reasons why it's so wonderful writing for children. I'm going to quote Einstein. Knowledge is limited. Imagination encircles the world. I love that. I I love love that. Um, It sounds like you have a great amount of trust for your readers. Uh, In their intelligence. In their intelligence. You're leaving that space for them to fill in the world. I will say as an aside... I was required to read Huckleberry Finn. Oh, I love that book. (laughs) Oh, I have to be honest with you. When they're at that little girl's home and she's passed and they go into her room and Twain spends, I think, 15 pages describing every little detail of her room. I'm afraid I was like, I... There's no room for me as a reader oh. here <laughs> to just... So I've always appreciated a book that gives me, as a reader, you, freedom to interact with the story, to interact with the characters. And I love that you're doing that in your books, that you're trusting your reader, which includes me, but also a 10-year-old. There's a yeah. great elasticity to the books. I know that you do a lot of school visits in the UK, and you've made some appearances here. I think uh, I am so excited to see the pictures from your visit here last spring. Oh, yeah. They were tremendous. What have you learned from your readers over the years as you encounter them and what they're telling you about the books? Yeah. 
I mean, I'm well. I'm going to go back to Huckleberry Finn just for one second, just because I love that book. And the thing is, no, the problem was you were required to read it. You know that. that I think that's one of the problems. You, you know, books always. You should revisit it. <laughs> you read it at the wrong time. I always say <laughs> to parents that they they, they enjoy, books should be a joy. And sometimes your kid, if they get a book at the wrong time and they're not enjoying it, you have to put it away and revisit later on. Yeah, because it is a wonderful book. I promise you. <laughs> yeah, and Tom Sawyer is a wonderful book as well. I love that book. And Tom Sawyer actually informed the character of Zara a little bit because um, mm. he's a he's a wonderful boy. Tom Sawyer again, meaning well and uh, getting into trouble. Um, but um, to go back to your question, I've now forgotten what your question is. <laughs> what have you learned from? Oh, your what readers? have I learned? From, oh, I learned so much from my readers because I mean and. and this is a real theme in my books of how much children have to teach adults. You know, How to Train Your Dragon was about a, a child growing up and learning, but it was also a parent growing up and learning. And, and, and wizards are once even more so. Wizards are once the, the two parents of um, Zara and Wish, Sycorax and Incanzo. They have a lot to learn. And, and the children are going to teach them. And, and sometimes people come to me and they say, oh, have you ever thought of writing for adults? As if writing for adults is a sort of is is a is a more important thing to do, and I just don't think that. I just think children have so much to teach us. They're interested in the essential things in life, and this is what I'm. They're interested in heroism. They're in, interested in being good. They're interested in um, you know death, life, the natural world, poetry. They're interested in all. And sometimes adults get lose their way. You know, and children, I feel, are naturally unprejudiced. You know, they, they don't have the prejudices until adults impose them on them sometimes, you know. And so um, I think children have a great deal to teach us. And writing for children asks you to look through the eyes of a child. And and sometimes because I'm writing them to be read aloud, I'm asking the adult to do that, um, to read aloud with their kid and sort of become a kid again enjoying riding dragon riding and all the things that kids enjoy you know enjoying you know the idea of being magic you know remembering the time when they dreamt that they had a magical power you know um and i think looking at the world through the eyes of a child can be a very informing process you know children are as i say they have a have a grasp on the essential things in life and and Zara and wish have instincts that are in many ways better than their parents their parents yeah so I suspect the answer is, <laughs> is yes. No, no, no. Adult humility. Yeah, adult humility. Yes. And that you're Always. inviting your yeah. adult readers yeah. to also experience that humility yeah. as they're encountering this book with yeah. children. Yeah. And to, to, to know that they, they're able to learn, you know, that to, you, you, you know, you're never too old to learn. You're never too old to learn. And I, I think that's a, a really important message. And, I mean, it is lovely to be coming over here and talking, I mean, I love talking to, I love the, the talking to children aspect of, of being a children's author um, because I love coming into schools and seeing their reaction, the children's reaction and seeing how they're engaging. It is extraordinary. This is, I'm just beginning to do this over here because my children are just beginning to get an age, of an age where I feel less bad about leaving them for two weeks or whatever. Um, uh, but it's, it's it's wonderful to to meet with children and families halfway across the globe who have engaged with my book so much and and the characters and that's very very touching um before we get to the secret surprise 
of oh. the podcast. Oh. You have beautiful language and you've spoken in the past of in this podcast of of constructing your books or writing your books to be read aloud. Yeah. What are some of your favorite words to say? Oh. Like you just say that word. I know. And you enjoy saying it. Oh. I have a favorite word to say, but okay. this is a family podcast. Yeah. Oh. And I can't really <laughs> share that word. Yeah. <laughs> Although it's remarkably elastic and flexible oh. in how you can pronounce oh. it. Oh. Well, actually. I, and it's so not it... the word you're thinking, people. <laughs> um, I have my uh, my sprites do these wonderful curses, you know, because, you know, you, I'm going to make you smaller than an itch sprite, you know, smaller than dust. Um, because because actually there's a sort of thought that um, uh, in the Iron Ages, people were very into those kind of elaborate sort of um, uh, uh, cursing and the imaginative language, you know, that you can use. I mean, I love words. And in this, um, and of course, in, in Dragon, I made up this whole fake language of Dragon Age, mm-hmm. playing games with words. Um, but in this this one, I've got a lot of, I have a whole section of, of lost words for the countryside because I read somewhere in some junior English dictionary that we we were losing losing words for the countryside and words like acorn and conquer were being replaced by broadband and blog. So I know, so in my, this makes me sad. As the daughter of an environmentalist, this makes me sad. And it's a sign that children are playing out less in the countryside and less time outside. And my books are a lot about that, about wilderness and playing outside in the countryside. So I collect words for the countryside, lost countryside words. So I'm going to give you a really good word, which is cowbelly which is the mud the slushy mud at the bottom of a river yeah you know how when a river gets stirred up and by a stir and it gets in your toes and it's cowbelly you get the sense of the roundness the slushiness in that word oh i love that yeah but Press. there are many wonderful words oh, there are and now i'm going to go look up a whole bunch now yes. Presida, as an end to the podcast and as an intro mm-hmm. to our listeners for Wizards of Once, will you read to us? Yes, I would love to do that. Okay. I'm going to read to you from the first, first bit of the book, which is the introduction to the world. Once there was magic. It was a long, long time ago in a British Isle so old it did not know it was the British Isles yet and the magic lived in the dark forest. Perhaps you feel that you know what a dark forest looks like. Well, I can tell you right now that you don't. These were forests darker than you would believe possible, darker than ink spots, darker than midnight, darker than space itself and as twisted and as tangled as a witch's heart. They were what is now known as wildwoods, and they stretched as far in every direction as you can possibly imagine, only stopping when they reached a sea. There were many types of humans living in the wildwoods. The wizards, who were magic, and the warriors, who were not. The wizards had lived in the wildwoods for as long as anyone could remember, and they were intending to live there forever, along with all the other magic things, until the warriors came. The warriors invaded from across the seas, and though they had no magic, they brought a new weapon that they called iron. And iron was the only thing that magic would not work on. This is the story of a young boy wizard and a young girl warrior who have been taught since birth to hate each other like poison. 
The story begins with the discovery of a gigantic black feather. Could it be that the wizards and the warriors have been so busy fighting each other that they have not noticed the return of an ancient evil? Could that feather really be the feather of a witch? I'll give you a clue it could. <laughs> well, thank you for this, Cressida. Thank you for reading, and thank you for spending some time with us on the Little Brown School and Library podcast. Gentle listeners through the virtual universe, this has been Victoria Stapleton for the podcast with the delightful, effervescent, delicious Cressida Cowell. We'll but, see you next time. Thank you so much. <laughs>